everybody. I'm back at it. I've taken over a year uh, just to readjust some things in my life. And uh, for those of you that may not know, I uh, actually have become a lead pastor here at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church. It's located in Walnut Creek, Ohio. It's in the heart of Holmes County, Ohio, which some of you may know is one of the largest Amish and Mennonite populations in the world. So I'm so thrilled uh, to share again some messages uh, on the podcast channel. And so I hope you will enjoy my series on the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, a wonderful, fascinating Old Testament book about a man who's on the run. And that we might relate because there is somewhat maybe a runner in us all. And so this week we're going to just talk about chapter 1. And we're going to be introduced into Jonah's life. He's a prophet. It's only four chapters long. It was It's believed to be written by Jonah himself. So it's a very unique book because most of the stories about prophets uh, tell what the prophet said, right? What they said, the prophecy that they brought. This is a unique book because it tells the story of the prophet himself, right? It's a very unique prophecy book because it doesn't necessarily emphasize the prophecy itself. It emphasizes the prophet. My hope is that in ruminating and studying this over the next four or five weeks here, hosting it in our worship thoughts, our studies, we might discover how interesting and insightful this scripture can be. So get your spiritual wetsuits on because we might find ourselves in the belly of a whale. Traditionally, this book is taught in our Sunday schools, right? It's a children's story. Some even believe that it's a myth. Oh, this can't possibly have actually. And I don't know where you're at on this, but I guess a word of commentary as we begin. I actually believe that it is true, that it is God-breathed, spirit-filled scripture that is valuable for the top of my heart. One thing came to me this week is that actually all of us were kept alive in our mum, in our mum's belly for nine months. Why wouldn't God be able to keep a man alive in a big fish's belly for three days, right? I believe it's true. And I, I know enough about science to know that there's some hurdles that some of you scientists may have to get over. But I'll claim the miracle of God here as we move into this exciting book. A little backstory here, perhaps, on um, Jonah. If you're following along in our outlines each week, these are nice to just follow along and, and fill in the, the gaps here. Jonah is sometimes called the reluctant prophet. Right? Reluctant prophet. He didn't really want to do what God had asked him to do. So he's reluctant in his, in his mission. Jonah, the word, actually means dove. And historically what we know is that he served the Lord and the nation of Israel as a prophet in, in and around the year 750, 750 years before the birth of Christ. Gives you some historical contents. Neat thing that I found this week also is that he's actually mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. It's verse 25. And here's that passage. 2 Kings 14, verse 25. He, the Lord, restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. A neat place, Gath-Hefer. So you look up, where is Gath-Hefer? Gath-Hefer is actually in the current region of Galilee. So here's the Holy Lands, and just north of Jerusalem there is Galilee and Damascus. And right in this, Ga- in this Galilee, uh, Sea of Galilee a region is Gath, where Jonah was from. 
Jonah is actually instructed in verse 1. So if you open your Bibles, you'll, you'll get, he gets right to it. He minces no words here. And he says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Ammon, to go to Nineveh to preach to that city. Nineveh is actually the capital of a mighty nation called Assyria. It's the capital city. We're going to read about this later in the book, but it's a massive city, giant, like, like New York City, huge. And Assyria is a terrible, terrible enemy to the Israelites and many other nations in this region, by the way. And so here we have, back to our map, Assyria in its north, uh, northeasterly kind of location from the Holy Lands. And so Jonah is instructed to go to Nineveh and preach. That's Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of... The word of the Lord came to him. That's, that's noteworthy. I want you to remember that. And the word says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah, if we believe he's actually writing this book, he does mention and he notes that the, the divine will, the divine word of the Lord came to him. So he's not denying that the God of all creation spoke to him and said, do this. And this really isn't that particularly special for Jonah, a prophet, who apparently heard from the Lord all the time. Think about that. Jonah is counted as one of the prophetic uh, voices of the Old Testament. There are prophets who are tapped on the shoulder by God to speak from a perspective of God amongst the people. And so the fact that this book begins with a word from the Lord probably isn't special. It isn't out of the ordinary. The fact that Jonah receives this word from God isn't actually unique. But what is unique is the content of the word of the Lord and where it sends him and what it's asking him to do. You see, he's asked to go as if you and I might be called to go to New York City from Little Holmes County, Ohio, 550 miles. I didn't do the math. I'm not sure how far New York City might be close. But the Assyrians are known for their brutality, their murdering and their pillaging of their way throughout the whole Middle East. And so Nineveh is basically this symbolic home of everything evil and hateful and idolatrous. Everything against God. I think of black smokestacks, human sacrifices, dun, dun, dun. The music as the mighty mountain of Mordor, perhaps, right? With the billowing black smoke from the J.R.R. Tolkien Lord of the Rings series. And to top it all off, Jonah's people, the Hebrew people, were some of their worst victims throughout history. The Assyrians had sacked both the kingdoms, the north and the south of Judah and Israel, wiping out 10 out of the original 12 tribes of their people. A great Hebrew scholar and Bible translator, Robert Alter, compares God sending Jonah to Nineveh as if he was sending a Jew to Nazi Germany. So Jonah's not only one single person being sent to a place of wickedness. He's being sent into the belly of a beast that his own people would hate. He himself probably hates. His people were the victims of those people. And he was called to go let them know that God had heard about and knew about their evil, that God was somehow giving them a chance to turn their lives around. So the first truth, the first point that I want you to understand this morning in the book of Jonah is that God may indeed ask you to go do something that you don't actually want to do. Because God is actually asking Jonah to do something that's not only hard, not only difficult, but God is asking Jonah to do something that Jonah actually believes is impossible. This is insane, Lord. Nineveh is the last place anyone like me would want to ever go. And with a message for them to repent, 
And the Ninevites are probably the last people that any Jew would want to interact with. It's basically an impossible request, Lord. And seeing that this task is impossible, Jonah does what any sane person would probably do. He runs. I mentioned that Jonah's name means dove. I kind of thought this bird's flown the coop today, right? This dove flies the coop. And Jonah says, I'm out of here. I thought it was unique. Think about that. He didn't just say no. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. He, he goes. He runs away. Okay? We know this story so well. He, the scripture says he goes down to Joppa, which is a port city, and he boards a boat. But I want you to see that, like Jonah, when we are faced with something that we don't want to do, that, yes, we may see as impossible, unfortunately, we too may run to odd and very unsafe places. We don't just stay put, do we, in our denial to do what God asked us. We actually turn our backs and make a focused effort to remove ourselves from him and from the situation. Check this out. Scripture says Jonah boarded a ship bound for Tarshish. Okay? Tarshish. Do you know where Tarshish is? Maybe not. I didn't really understand where it was. I assumed it was away from Nineveh, right? Take a look at this. Biblical scholars and commentators believe that the Tarshish that's mentioned here in Jonas's mind is actually on the south part of Portugal and France, of Spain. That's 2,500 miles across the Mediterranean Sea. And Bible scholars and commentaries would tell you that it's more like a, a, a vacation area. It's, it's tropical. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a luxurious, it's like the 750th BC version of sandals, right? I'm not going to go the 550 miles northeast that you told me to go, Lord. I'm going 2,500 miles west. And I'm out of here. And some would even add that this is where he is not only running from his call to Nineveh, he's running from his call completely. He's out of here. This is permanent. We believe in his mind he is leaving his service to the Lord. And the second truth that I'd like to remind you of this morning from the book of Jonah is that, you know what? If you want it, you too can always find a boat that's sailing in the wrong direction. Can't we? Unfortunately, our enemy, the devil, will always provide us this opportunity. Because it's always there. God says, go east. Jonah goes west. God sends him to Nineveh, the dark and the place of terror in his mind. But instead, Jonah books his literal getaway to an all-inclusive resort. It's kind of like God, it's kind of like Jonah saying, you know what, Lord, I still believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you told me to do. I want you to catch that. I I still believe in what you, I I still believe in you, Lord, but I'm not doing that. And that's kind of like you and I. You know, I'll I'll still go to church, Lord, but I'm not giving that. I'll sit, I'll pray, I'll listen, I'll do what you, you know, want me to do here. But he hops on a boat without a single hesitation because it was there. And somehow he had the money to pay the fare. If you're reading the scripture with me, right? Jonah 1, 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, that was probably a pretty big fare, I would guess. He went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Maybe you're like me today. We all have our Ninevehs. I mentioned that I ran from some pain and some hard things in my life. We all have our zones of extreme discomfort. Things that God might be calling us to, but we, we have found our Tarshish. Our preferred methods of escape, perhaps. We just can't bring ourselves to go and to do what we see is impossible. So we run away. But the third truth that I want you to remember from the first chapter of Jonah today is you can run from God, but you're never going to be able to outrun God. Did you catch that? You can run from it, but you'll never outrun it. 
No sooner is the crew setting sail, but we read in verse 4 that the Lord sends a great wind upon the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to be broken. Because you can out, you can run God, you can run from God, but you can't outrun Him, and that He actually may send a storm to get your attention. Doesn't He? No sooner this crew sets sail, uh, God sends a storm so strong that it's liable to bust the ship back up into lumber. And Jonah thought that he could run, but God is threatening to tear this ship apart to get Jonah back on track. And the crew is terrorized, as you can imagine. Tries everything to stop the storm or to escape it somehow. And a fourth truth that I want you to realize this morning, and many of us have lived it, that when we run, our life often begins. Follow along with me in verse number five. All the sailors were afraid, and each tried out, cried out to his own God, right? Think of this. They threw the cargo of the ship overboard to make it lighter, right? Threw the cargo into the sea. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into it. Really, Jonah? You're running and your life is unraveling. There's so much that's going on in this text. I love it. There's a sermon in just about every single verse. The thing I most, I found most fascinating though is the sailors. I want you to focus on them with me for a moment. The sailors are actually non-believers. The scripture implores or implies here that they have all gods from all sorts of different sources, right? And so look at this scene. The ship is being battered and these guys know what's going to happen. And they're crying out to any number of gods. They're lost, literally lost at sea. And by the end of the storm, you will find that they are all converted to the one true God, the God of Israel. They're transformed into full-blown believers by the end of this story. When we run, like I said, life begins to unravel. And one of the first things that happens when our life is unraveling is that we stop hearing God's, don't we? We lull ourselves into some sort of figurative deep sleep so that we just push out the world and all that it represents at times. Na, 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 I will not hear it, right? Well, but of all people, in verse number six, follow along with me. The captain of the ship goes down to him and says, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God, maybe. He'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Get with the program here, buddy boy. This is fascinating. Listen to what, read this in verse seven with me. So the sailors then said to each other, Let's just cast lots and see which one of us this is because. Who's the cause of all of this, right? Who's responsible for this calamity? And they cast lots, and what do you know? The lot fell to Jonah. What a dramatic scene. I mean, they're in the storm, right? How do you cast lots with dice or whatever they did in a rolling boat? I don't know. So they asked him, look at these questions. Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people have you come from? They want to know who this guy is. What would you do? Well, in a in a bit of integrity, Jonah tells the truth. Read it in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I love this. I love this. Follow along. Verse 10. It terrified them even more. And they have one question for you. What did you do? Well, they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. We don't read that in the Scripture other than Jonah himself probably writing the letter saying, I'm going to Tarshish because I'm running away from an assignment God gave me. What have you done? Well, think about that. What has Jonah done? 
What has he done? Well, how about first and foremost, he was one that God had trusted with a very important assignment by his own word. And Jonah basically told him to go fly a kite. He told, okay, let me get this straight. He was on the inside circle as a prophet of the one true God who created the land, the sea, the sky, the stars, the whole universe. And he told you to go do something and you just didn't want to go do it. Really? That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what happened. And not only did his life unravel and he stopped hearing, but when your life is unraveling and you're running from God and you are in denial of what he has called you to do, you not only stop hearing from God, everyone around you will be hurt. Amen. Amen. The people who are the closest to you will be hurt by your decisions. This God called him and sent him on a mission and he ran away. And so not only is he a coward, right? He's a coward now who has brought a tsunami upon innocent people. He's lost the cargo from the ship, right? These gentlemen are working an honest living trying to haul something from Joppa to Tarshish or whatever ports they're going to stop at in between. And they've lost the cargo. The people on the other end of the, of the, of the, the route have lost whatever they were hauling. These guys have probably lost their jobs and they've come within a heartbeat of dying themselves. So in verse 11, you read what they did. The sea was getting worse. And so they asked him what, they asked him, they asked Jonah, right? Follow the pronouns here. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down? What, 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 what should we do? Everybody knows what, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's called, what do you call that? A pregnant pause, right? That's a, that's my dramatic silence, right? Throw me overboard. Basically, in Jonah's nightmare, his worst nightmare is probably exactly what he and everyone else actually needed. And so he admits it. And in verse 12, he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this grace, this great tempest come upon you. And I want to pause there for a moment because I've been pretty hard on Jonah up to this point, right? It's easy for us in hindsight to speculate on what kind of stupid decisions he was obviously making. But my heart goes out to him in this moment. In this dramatic point of the story, Jonah has probably given up. He's realized that his life is over. And in some subtle way, I am sympathetic to the place that Jonah finds himself at right here. And I know in my pastor's heart that some of you have also been in this place because you've made mistakes, you've tried to run, and you've ended up in a place where you've hurt those around you, even risking their lives. And you, in your heart of hearts, as Jonas, believe that you don't deserve to live anymore. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Read in verse 13. Instead, huh, what, 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 wait a minute, what? Why didn't they just chuck this guy right into the surf as soon as he said it? For their own sake. Interestingly, they don't seem to immediately cast him overboard. They jam the oars into the swelling water once again in hopes that they might paddle back to shore. It's because they don't want to kill him. Because getting chucked over a boat in the middle of a tsunami-type storm is obviously death. Jonah might be a pretty good swimmer, but I don't think he's that good. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before them. And they cry out to God. Look at the hearts of these men. Please, Lord. Who are they talking to? Now, when you watch Bible things as closely as I do, that's a capital L. That's a capital L. In the translation, that means, no, they're talking to God. Not just some little God that's fake that they thought was, you know, from their pagan religions. They come to the truth. Please, Lord, 
the Lord of Jonah. Don't let us die for taking this man's life. I don't know what contract or agreement you had with him and he broke it and you're mad at him or whatever, but please don't hold this against us. Don't hold us accountable for killing, for you, Lord, have done what you please. And through your prophet, he told us to. And in verse 15, they actually do take Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea. You see, Jonah wasn't wrong in telling them to do though. As soon as he splashes against the surface and perhaps sinks out of sight, the moment when Jonah has finally become able to own his own disobedient sin, he accepts the consequences. And at this moment, the crew stands in awe of what has just happened, right? Offering, in essence, a sacrifice. And they begin to make vows. Read in verse 16 with me. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. They became believers. They became believers. And to top it all off, they become believers. Not because Jonas was pious or that he evangelized them or told the great wonders of his God. It's not because Jonah was impressive, somehow well-spoken, or charismatic in any way. But because Jonah accepted the condemnation of his own sin, these men became enlightened to the true God of the heavens. And he offers himself up, in essence, for their salvation. That sounds really familiar to me, actually, given what we just came through in the last seven weeks. You see the likeness here? Jonah's from the Galilee area. We worship a Lord that's from the Galilean area. Actually, Jonah was asleep in the bottom of a ship. And I, I think I remember a, a, a Bible story once where Jesus himself was sleeping during a storm. And the sailors were all upset. And they shook Jesus and said, help us, Lord, what can we do? Trust in the Lord and greatly fear him. And a calm, storm calm at the hands of Jesus. But Jonah isn't done. And rather, God isn't done with Jonah. In the last verse of this first chapter, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that. Here's my conclusion for this morning. Hope you can follow me and get this. I'm so excited about this, this concept in our lives. You see, God stays involved in your life, not because he wants to pay you back for the bad things he's done or that you've done. He's not paying us back. He's actually trying to bring you back. God is staying involved in your life. Have you ever felt like the whole world's against you? Yes, I felt that. Lord, why can't this work out? Traffic and breakdowns and stuff, hurdles, conflict, problems, the storms of life make my Rubik's Cube all messed up. And I shake my fists and I go, why, Lord? What have I done? Careful with that prayer. <laughs> because God may be calling you back. He's not trying to pay you back. He's trying to bring you back. It reminds me of this lovely, wonderful story of the prodigal son and the love of the father that would call and welcome his son back after running. And as we'll see in the next several weeks, God doesn't actually chase you, but he does go ahead of you and he prepares a plan for you to bring you back. And it may take you to the depths of the earth, as we'll read about next week, but he will bring you back. So I prayed, and I believe there's basically two people in the room today, two situations that I want to address as we close, because we're kind of all runners in our own way. I want to reach out to you, those of you who may have never made a commitment to follow Jesus in your life. You're kind of like the sailors, and you kind of pick and choose, and you don't know exactly what all the cosmos means, but because of the experiences of this church, of seeing the Jonas in your life, you believe. But a second 
more popular, more powerful place that you might be today is that God has asked you to do something very special. Something that you even might count as impossible. Perhaps it's forgiving somebody. Perhaps it's to ask for forgiveness, to reconcile. Maybe God is pulling at your heart to move into a more full-time or, or more vocational service to Him in some way as a missionary or a pastor. God may be calling you to do any number of things that you just don't want to do because it's hard. And I pray for you that the story of Jonah might help remind you that God has a plan for you and He has already moved ahead of you and you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, thank You for this wonderful, fascinating story. I praise You for Jonah. That He, even as a prophet, as a chosen one, as a special person, right? He failed You, Lord, just like I've failed You. Pray for those folks here in our room or, or watching online, wherever they are within the sound of my voice, Lord, that they might be reminded that they can trust You even when they failed, even when they don't know, they can trust You. And that, Lord, You use certainly the circumstances of our lives to bring us back, not to pay us back. And that, Lord, we might learn of Your great love for us even when we fail You. Lord, that we might be reminded and taught of Your great love for even the evil people in the world. Jonah's call was to go to the evil people of Nineveh because, God, You love them. We have no understanding of Your love, God. The more we think we know, the more You surprise us and You love us more deeply, more lovely. Thank You, God, for this wonderful story. May You inspire us over the next several weeks. And may we be brought closer to You, Lord, through the experience of Jonah. We give You our time, Lord, and we praise You for the opportunity to study and to be together in fellowship.